Hello again and welcome back to the PGCE podcast. This is episode 21 and it's the final episode of the academic year 2018-19. We've made it. We have. Gosh, that's that's really quite sad. It's the end. Oh, we'll put some things out over the summer just to keep people vaguely interested, but this is our last proper one. 21 episodes in and we're on the road again. We are on the road. We are at Palmerston Primary School in Barry. In Barry, we're in Barry, aren't we? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Barry, and we've got two guests. I, I think I've travelled so much over the last uh, few months with this podcast that I don't know whether I'm coming, going, or being. But it's lovely to be here in Barry, and we have two lovely guests. I don't know whether you'd like to introduce yourselves. To yeah. my left, great. Hi, I'm Katie Edwards. I'm the head teacher at Palmerston Primary School. And hello, I'm Sarah Kaysen, and I'm the deputy head. Welcome to you both. And we should say that these two lovely people have been involved in designing our brand new PGCE programmes, which are starting next year. So that's how we've come to meet them. But that's not the reason we're here. It's not the reason we're here. And actually, this came out of working together collaboratively over our new programmes. And this is a passion project of yours, would you say? Oh, yeah, absolutely. With the workload and reducing, yeah, yeah massively. Huge, huge passion of ours. And um, we've been working closely with um, Welsh Government and the four consortia to drive it forward because it's just something that's just so important. So. so we're here to talk all about workload and we've got some facts, haven't we, to begin with, Tom? Yeah, the knotty issue of workload, uh, which uh, often comes up when you speak to any teachers. It's interesting, actually, I've always thought that if you if you look at the news about teaching and people outside the profession often think that the thing that is most difficult about teaching is actually being in a classroom with pupils, you know, being unruly and That's all of that. That's the best bit. Kind of <laughs> it is, isn't it? It absolutely <laughs> is the best bit. And, and if you speak to an actual real life teacher, they will often tell you that the bit that really does make people want to run for the hills is the workload and we've got a statistic here from your very own um, powerpoint presentation that you sent to us saying that uh, 34% of school teachers would like to leave the profession within the next three years which is a really Really scary statistic isn't it and from your experience um, and the work that you've been doing on this, what are the kind of key issues that teachers are experiencing in relation to workload? Um, well, I think the biggest one that everyone will comment on, you see so much in the media, especially on platforms such as Twitter and things like that, is um, marking, of course, marking and feedback. But the other two main elements, um, certainly, that's been pushed forward by the reducing workload agenda and, and posters and handouts and things like that, is planning. Um, can possibly you know impact on workload as well as um, data analysis and things like that so um, you know they're the three main elements or areas that you know are causes for concern Um, and there are three things I guess that no matter what stage you're at in your training or in your teaching career planning marking and data are going to affect your job even if you're a novice so it's, this is a, an all-encompassing issue that teachers will experience no matter what international location you're in or what point in your career. Okay, so what have you been looking at specifically in order to address this in Palmerston and how have you been kind of coming at this? Well, for us, the, the main focus has been to do with marking and feedback. You know, ultimately... I mean, I, I'm not a great lover of the word marking anyway, because it, it, it is what it is. It's almost it, it's a mark on the page. But feedback, 
it's a non-negotiable children need feedback everybody needs feedback and that for us was our biggest starting point and you know it's something that we do talk about so much is that things do have to get harder sometimes before they get easier because to be really good at feedback for us certainly as a staff it's been a new learning process because it's just so much more than just what you say to the child or what's written down I think very much like a lot of schools we had disproportionate value given to written feedback but that's the way we've always done it so you know it's one of those isn't it if you keep doing what you've always done you'll get what you've always got so for us that's where that's what we were looking at is what does our written feedback look like you know what impact does it have and I think that's the biggest thing is whatever you do it's all about actually the impact that it has you know on raising standards and improving the work that the children do so we've spent many years kind of unpicking everything and really openly talking about it with the staff and I think that's another thing and hopefully we'll talk a bit more about it later is that when you create a feedback policy or a marking policy or whatever you want to call it I think sometimes people can create a policy it's been done that's the way we do it we don't talk about it but we need policies to create consistency but we review ours every six weeks and our policy is comes from the staff because it's the teachers and it's the LSAs. They're the ones that are on the ground. They're the ones that are doing it day in, day out. Um, it's all worked very well for me as a leader to be dictating to people about what they should be doing because I've Googled it and I've looked at best practice in other schools. But every school is completely different and every school is unique. So, um, And the people that know your children the best are the people that are with the children day in, day out in the classrooms. So, you know, we've actually had our teachers and LSAs, they have written the policy, but every six weeks we review it with the main focus being on workload and having those open conversations, which are not sometimes conversations you want to have (laughs) because you're scared of what's going to be said. But... I think it's being brave, isn't it? Yeah, and to, I think, you know, that. being at the grassroots of it as well, understanding that we all have this common goal where we do want to improve experiences for our children. So we're all coming at it from the same angle. But what we're all saying is we've got that culture and honesty where we can say, well, look, you know, that's a wonderful idea. However, is that the best and efficient way of doing it? So it's having those raw and honest conversations where everybody has a voice. Everybody can be part of that solution and say, well, OK, we'll try it. We'll have a go and we'll come back and we'll we'll review it i think we all kind of know that the research says that feedback has a a huge impact on pupils and of course the beauty of written feedback is that we mentioned this in a previous episode didn't we it covers your backside with your superiors because they can see that you've done it so evidence yeah and i suppose as a teacher (laughs) it's tempting to just be able to show that to your senior management uh, you know and as a senior leader it's tempting to be able to flash that stuff in front of estin so how have you gone about creating an atmosphere where people feel confident to say that they're giving high quality feedback without being able to kind of wave it around well i think we know we've been able to laugh at ourselves to a degree when you know you can see sort of paragraphs written for a four-year-old and at a time where a accountability was high and everybody did it with the best of intentions you know we've fallen into the trap of triple marking and all sorts of things you know highlighting we've been there and we've done it (laughs) but I think you know for us we we have a part to play in that where we say well look you know we all understand that we need to keep those standards high yes accountability is really important
important, but we've almost set to have a mind shift on how we look at those standards and how we look at pupil progress. So the first step was actually talk to a child. I mean, it sounds sort of quite revolutionary, but, you know, even if you're looking at books or you're looking at those evidence standards, actually the child is the person that can tell you how well they've done something or how confident they are at talking about what they've achieved within lessons and in their learning. You don't need that evidence that's written all the time. And I think it, it was a huge cultural mind shift for us. But actually having the staff feel confident enough to know your saying what you believe but you're actually doing something about it as well we talk to the children and the children are just as confident about what they're doing they can articulate what success looks like they're doing all those wonderful things but the teachers and and for us you know on that journey we realize that we can step back from that marking now and say well standards are still high but we don't have to sort of stay three hours after school every night and write essays for for what you know if children can't read it stop doing it it's that common sense approach i suppose which is what we've been taking as well it's changing that that the questions that you ask through your self-evaluation because certainly we've been there I, I remember that the you know the book scrutiny form I used to have I think the first question was is marking up to date and actually we're not saying that there isn't a place for written marking because there categorically is a place for written marking what we're saying is not to give it disproportionate value to other types of feedback and yeah the questions that we have now of completely changed the way that we carry out our self-evaluation has changed we used to do book scrutinies if you want to call them those anymore now we've changed the name we like to relabel things in education so they sound great and uh, as if we've moved on but learning reviews whatever you want to call them we used to do them without the children and this is just saying you know going back to what Sarah said we wouldn't even think about doing uh, you know looking at books now without having a child with you because you know if we are looking at you know ambitious capable learners what that means is that we want independent learners we want children who can talk about their work who can show us you know a piece of work that they're proud of who can show us where they've made a mistake maybe where they've had feedback from a teacher and then where they've acted upon that feedback and children can talk about those things Mm. if they are if we are talking about learning with our children all of the time and it's not just something that's done once or twice a year when smt want to gather in your books and do it in such a distant way you know Mm. it's really refreshing actually to talk to hear you talking in such practical terms about solutions to workload and it as we know goes hand in hand with well-being I I saw an interesting tweet a few months ago now about well-being and, and teachers quite strongly on Twitter saying we don't want yoga at break time absolutely we Why don't want uh you know we, we don't want to be given chocolate on a friday you know we don't want yeah, these meetings yes. outside yes. Yes. sticking plastic exactly we yeah. just yeah. want mm. practical solutions yeah. that have impact on our pupils and on our own well-being as a byproduct but a happy byproduct where the kids are making progress we're not self-flagellating and we've got a, a workable happy healthy environment and i think so you're right practical solutions sound great yeah and if you create that right culture where you can have that honesty of discussion and people feel valued when they speak and i think that's the first step in things you know having mindfulness on a friday afternoon when you want to go home when you've been marking for five hours every night i mean that that goes against the grain and it's almost the irony of it all but you know get your culture right have those honest conversations and put a bit of common sense back into teaching as well. I think if you can justify something and you're showing that you still have impact, standards aren't dropping, 
you know, nobody's saying don't mark anymore or don't speak to a child, but actually look at what's working, keep going with that and just keep having those conversations as well. It's something that has to be done, not just as, again, a tick box, a lip service. We've looked at workload once this year. We've done it, you know, we've put the yoga in. It has to be something that's living and breathing continually and evolving, even to a point now, I think, you know, we have a, a governor who's has the workload hat. So again, in meetings, they raise their, their issues from the point of view of a workload perspective. So it's something that which has to be there in the background all the time when you're making decisions and you're thinking about things so that it isn't lost as another fad or another thing that you have to do. Mm. It's, it, you know, for us, it's the same for formative assessment. You know, it plays a key part in the new curriculum. But again, where it can become an issue of workload is when it's a bolt-on and an add-on. Mm. But unless there's this understanding that actually the link of formative assessment and workload should go hand in hand when children are doing more work than you in a lesson, that that's one piece of the jigsaw where work can become much easier for you because you know your investment in planning has gone into creating the you know the right atmosphere and the right environment to facilitate that independence so it's, it's tweaking lots of practice and and looking at the common sense and thinking why are we still doing it even within sort of coding policies you know they've had their say you know in the issue of workload but even that sort of to a point has to be reviewed and looked at and thinking well has that become another fad or is it something which really is working and making life easier for us but we've really tried about putting the common sense back into things haven't we and I think definitely you know we've we've been on this journey for quite a few years and as as I mentioned before you know we we've made so many mistakes but I think that the key to it has been that we've 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 we try something out we have an idea you know majority of the time you know it comes from the staff now initially it was me as a leader coming in with trying out new ideas you know in terms of giving feedback but we we go away we try them out together as a staff but we don't allow those mistakes or we don't allow if something's going wrong it doesn't have a long time for it to go wrong because we review it you know as I say six weekly and we're still doing that now and it means that we can stop if things aren't working out and we can change or we can keep things if they are working very well but we we don't we certainly don't write a policy put it in place in September and then review it you know in two years time as can happen Mm. Um, and as I say you know a lot of mistakes have been made also We did go through a phase where everyone was finding it incredibly hard. The workload actually went up because what we were doing was we were trying to remaster how to give um, incredibly good quality feedback. Now, at the time, we were doing that through written feedback, which is uh, what Sarah was, was talking about, because we were learning. And until you know how to give good quality feedback, it doesn't matter whether it's written or it's given through verbal feedback, you have to master it because feedback can be bad as well <laughs> as being good and it can be not ve- not done very efficiently and so it took us a while to really master questioning good quality questioning as I say we did it through more of a written style to start with and again going back to the evidence that you were talking about Tom you know how are we going to evidence that they've responded to that question oh we'll do it through a written method but we did go through that 
first so we we can have a bit of a a a laugh about it now really on reflection certainly two years ago we all talk about it as a staff and say oh my gosh do you remember (laughs) two years ago how how horrific it was but um we're we're in a place now whereby you know everybody is really upskilled and giving good good quality feedback um and therefore we can upskill the children then because once the teachers are upskilled and given feedback then the children can become upskilled and given feedback and then you can you can certainly you know you've created an independent learner who can give you be an excellent peer assessor an excellent self-assessor and if you get the children being able to peer assess and to self-assess then that's where Sarah was talking about the fact that you know you want to be getting the children to be doing that work they should be working harder than the teacher which is I think certainly the historical view is the kids do the work the teacher goes away and takes the 30 books home and spends hours and hours and hours day in day out always assessing the children's work well actually that's not creating an independent learner. Emma and I are huge fans of the Education Endowment Foundation website because they have a series of interventions, things that you can do as a leader that will will affect uh, your pupils in school. And the one on feedback, I I imagine, probably grabs the attention of cash-strapped senior leaders quite a lot of the time because it basically says the impact of really good feedback is huge and it's effectively free because you don't have to buy loads of stuff. But you have to drill down into the detail because once you read their handout on it, which is only a couple of pages long if anyone's looking to find it, it says, watch out, you know, the devil's in the detail. Bad feedback is terrible, so you've got to do it right. And although you don't have to buy lots of shiny kit in order to do this intervention, you have to invest an awful lot of time and effort into good quality feedback by staff which is training which is exercise exactly what you've just talked about it's lovely to hear that confirmed in a practical setting isn't it yeah and and it's it's no surprise to me that top of the Hattie ranking list is collective teacher efficacy as a key influential factor on pupil progress when I hear you talking about policy being something that is rolling and is constantly in development living and breathing but also the fact that staff are enfranchised in that evaluative developmental process, then of course they're going to feel like they are on board with something that they feel that they are directly shaping and chipping away at and making right it's not something that's being dictated from on high that's a sticking plaster that may or may not have have any impact Mm. so it's really it sounds to me like what the OECD were getting at with schools as learning organisations. You're collectively learning together. And I think what I feel really passionate about is we demystify this word as well because so often it's seen as this sort of abstract theoretical exercise. But for us, it's looking at theorists. You know, we've researched what Dylan William thinks, you know, David Dow, and we've looked at theorists we don't like, but it's been done on such a level that, you know, as a staff, we can talk about sort of aspects of these theories, but go away and think, well, actually, does that work for us? Let's go away and have a play with it. Let's try it. It, let's trial it come back do a baseline and let's look at the impact of it it's not sort of something that we think oh we're doing actual research now which is part and parcel it's it's embedded and everybody has this investment of making the school even better and trying to improve things for everybody but it's not suddenly something that we've now put a label onto it's just good practice and i you know i think one thing that i i do want to really get across though is i think yes 
everything that we're doing um, from an outsider's point of view isn't it great but the only reason that we're able to do what we can do is that we passionately believe in culture and creating a culture whereby people do feel that they can contribute to the policy that they do feel also that they can say look Katie (laughs) this isn't working for me (laughs) but not just to say that what I encourage the staff to do is that yes we all there's always barriers there's always things that come up but come with a solution come with well okay if if you feel that this isn't working what can we do come up with an idea of what we could do instead that would have just as much impact but again would reduce that workload a little bit further um, and does and that, that extend feel... to sorry to no, interrupt you but does that extend to, to teacher trainees you oh, you take a lot of yeah. our teacher trainees well they, they attend I mean they are the way you know we've talked about the policy and how we do it a lot a lot of um you know how we develop our formative assessment which all comes into our feedback policy and everything is through our staff meetings or insets or whatever you want to call them twilights i know different people call them different things don't they um our students of course they attend our meetings and everybody has a say or at least feels that they can I think the biggest thing is is that I want my staff and always do to be able to say do you know what I don't think I know what I'm doing (laughs) because I think that historically what tends to happen is that you have an inset somebody stands up they deliver a message everybody nods away or yawns because it's a it's a bad time isn't it at the end of the day (laughs) Uh, people are tired but we've had so many open conversations where actually I've held my hand up you know and said you know what I am not too clear about what this new thing is or um, this element is does anybody else feel the same yes people then feel like they can be honest about things then we can have conversations we talk a lot about because we do a lot of action research whereby you know we come with an idea maybe people you know and we were talking about theorists and talking about all of those kind of things people go away they do their own research or they try things out one of our biggest conversations when we come back and regroup um, within that half term is actually the mistakes that we made, mm-hmm. you know, and what didn't work. And it might be that something just didn't work with that particular class. But again, it's all part of the self-evaluation. Self-evaluation is not something that's done at the end of the year. For us, it's done all the time. And, and one of the driving forces and vehicles for that to happen is through our staff meetings. And certainly, you know, students are fully involved in that because we're all at different parts in our journey you know it's interesting actually I was listening to Thomas talking about the EEF and there's a, a very recent podcast that's come out about feedback and Dylan William is interviewed at the beginning and he talks about I don't think he uses this term but this is a term for kind of professional learning communities and what you're kind of describing there is is that culture of, of being able to make mistakes try things out inquiry yeah, action absolutely. research but he talks in it as well about accountability and support go it being two sides of the same coin yeah so that supportive accountability so that we're all going to try this we are accountable to one another yeah but we're supporting one another in that it's actually quite challenging things you were saying about you know feedback and doing it right is a is a longer process than simply a huge learning um curve and gosh how many years has afl been around for you know but there are still so many um teachers out there and I and I fully understand this that still 
don't quite get it, you mm. know, and that's okay, mm. you know, but I think that unless we know that uh, and people feel like that they can say that they're not as confident maybe in that certain area you're you're never going to win and you're never going to improve mm-hmm. but people need to be able to feel like they can say oh do you know what in this area I'm not as great in this area you know I've got I've got teachers here and LSAs who have got incredible strengths but in lots of different areas you know but they are there's a culture here whereby also they could admit um, quite openly the areas that they're not so confident in and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that because unless we're honest we we can't develop and we can't improve and, and it's something that I really encourage um, here and, and we all work together as a team and we support one another. So we've talked a lot about marking and feedback yeah. um, which is one of the three kind of key areas linking to workloads that you identified at the start. Yeah. You talked about data, you talked about planning. I know one that will be really key to our novice teachers, to our teacher trainees will be planning. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how you have tackled workload related to planning those issues. Well we've been reviewing our planning quite a lot. We, I mean we reviewed, many schools do, it's not, it's not just us, you know. My my main thing all the time is what is necessary and what is unnecessary now of course when you're starting out as a teacher and when you're starting out forget that actually when you're starting out on anything that's new to you 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 do have to work harder don't you to sort of get it's that whole process of learning so um certainly when you're new to anything a bit like when we were doing our marking we were we were writing a lot more than we probably needed to because we're trying to get our head around it and i would say the same comes of planning you almost over planned don't you and need to go through that process until you become a master Mm -hmm. of it so therefore I think certainly here one thing that we're doing is that I have one teacher here who I mean I've got to be honest I can't big my teachers up enough because they are all completely amazing but I do have one teacher here that um, I've spoken to who is just really, really good at mentoring and nurturing teachers um, as well as students that, you know, are a little um, less experienced. And it's not just about just going through a planning process of a sheet and can you fill in the empty boxes. I've put her in place and released her and given her time to actually work side by side um, with the teachers again. And it all comes back to feedback. to just support them Mm. um you know and during school hours as well this is not about additional working hours in the day and staying staying late but to actually go through the process with them of a lot of it is always down to the purpose of why you're doing it but as you become more experienced and, and become a master of it then you can actually start looking at what is absolutely necessary and what's not you know mm. what's having impact what is not we've reviewed our planning recently again certainly in a, terms a, a of lesson. you know sort of one example as a student teacher you're required to write the content of a lesson yeah. certainly as a sliding scale I'd like to think that that will hopefully certainly in the future now become less and less the more you've learned your craft and the more you've shown and demonstrated that you've perhaps hit that standard or you feel more confident there that I'd like to think that that would be certainly an element within planning that will be reduced at the beginning you need it so it becomes mm-hmm. effortless 
this then and it's part of your sort of psyche but certainly for us that's not something we dwell on so much now it's the bare bones but for us in terms of formative assessment maybe there's an element you know with the modeling invest time in thinking gosh if there's a element within that lesson that requires modeling so that you can deconstruct something to look at what good looks like or have those conversations about what would be expected from certain elements certainly with genre writing or something like that you know maybe time within planning will be invested in creating good quality models or finding you know research booklets or whatever it is newspaper articles so that you've you know it's not so much your time to actually prepare for the lesson as opposed to just planning i mean we've got to a point you know i my teachers are incredibly incredibly experienced but our planning really just um, contains now the learning objective and the purpose of the bigger picture of why the children are doing it. And we're doing a lot of work at the moment of actually, you know, really just digging a little bit de- deeper, holding on a bit more about it's not just a case of le- sharing the learning objective, but to actually talk to the children the actual purpose of why they're doing it where does this fit into the bigger world and then they plan and obviously look then at the success criteria which we do a lot of the time not always but through differentiated success criteria but yes you're you're putting those as a teacher you've got that idea of what the success criteria is of course what you want is the children to actually be able to create the success criteria or come up with it in class and the way to do that is the modelling is what comes really between the learning objective and the success criteria being co-constructed. So our PPA time, we want our our teachers now to be spending more time on preparing resources for that modelling so thereby the children can create that you know what they need to do to be successful Mm -hmm. Um, as opposed to spending all the time writing about content, national curriculum links that does need to happen at the beginning I think mm-hmm. um, so that you do sort of understand but when you become so good with the, the curriculum links or the literacy and numeracy framework and you really know where your children are going and you have different ways of monitoring that and recording it you can start sort of weaning away from it. Yeah and I think it falls foul of the same issues of accountability too because I think in, in theory we want to instill those really good foundational yeah skills knowledge understanding about planning that as you say are going to be committed to memory they're going to be their constant mental model going back to our teach first podcast a couple of weeks ago that they can draw upon regularly but they also know as teacher trainees that somebody's going to be scrutinizing their lesson Mm. plan and they're accountable for this lesson plan and therefore maybe write reams and reams so i guess it's kind of splitting the difference with our our teacher trainees they really truly understand something when they realize that we're not watching them we're watching their learners and how their mm. learners are responding to the rigor yeah. of their planning but i think it's all part of the learning process though isn't it you know that when when you're doing something new all of your energy goes on you yes um, and yourself because all you're doing is thinking about your lesson that you need to teach and the content that you need that needs to go into it that has to happen to a point and i think sometimes we can be really hard on ourselves mm. you know because mm-hmm. but it, it, it has to happen but actually you're absolutely right the end game is you know where we want to be is that delivering a lesson or whatever however you want to put it should be effortless so that actually all of your energy is on actually what the children are learning and you constantly 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 throughout that session throughout that lesson you're assessing the children all of the time through questioning and different methods 
getting feedback from the children there and then in the lesson and then tweaking your plan you know it, you may not have written it down <laughs> but you have to go with the children but I think the starting point always is gosh I remember it you know being yeah. a student that it's all about you <laughs> you know at first isn't it and it is it is really hard but yes there is that accountability side of like you know yes is everything in place and but there is a method behind the madness well, it's, it's a good final segue to that final scary one, which is data. And, and I'm speaking to the head here, so I really like to know what oh, the love head data. thinks about love it. <laughs> <laughs> and about how data goes hand in hand with workload issues yeah. and how you've tried to tackle some of those data-driven issues related to workload data is information you know ultimately and you can get data I'm telling you now gosh you can get data on every single part of a child's life if you wanted to and I think it's it's really about only collecting the data that has an impact and actually is useful there's a lot of data out there that you can use that is a duplicate data you know so we we've reviewed our data collection and the 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 things that we assess because there was a lot of assessments going on but I was questioning always well what impact does it have we've whittled it down now to the absolute necessary stuff that we need and in our school it's you know reading is an absolute passion 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 of mine (laughs) It is the, you know, the be all and end all for me, you know, about getting children to read independently. So that there is, we we, we do collect data as a baseline in September, and then um, we get another snapshot in December, and then one in April, you know, and one at the end of the year. We also have our, we have a maths snapshot, but we collect that data. But I'd I'd say that Sarah and I, we we tend to do a lot of the data input. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what we do is we filter it so that the onus is on actually what are the important bits of the data that staff need to know about as well and share with us. So together we look at, you know, maybe the child that's plateauing or the child that's, you know, underperforming. As you said, it's what you do with that data, you know, and that's when the interventions come in and we do something practically about it. But we're certainly, death by data has been a problem in the past. But I think for us, as long as we use it sensibly, cautiously, and make sure every time we collect something it's for impact I think that's the key just you know not do it because again you've done it in the past or there's this there's this understanding that somebody out there needs it but actually as a school it's purely just to drive impact and that's all you well, need. And, and pro you know progress because mm. that's all that is why you're collecting data is that you know for me certainly as a head I know Sarah just you know being leaders in a school I want to know are my children making the best possible progress that they can so Sarah and I look at the data together we go through it and I'm looking to see you know right have we got any children you know it's all individual so I can see have we got children that are making good progress excellent progress or we've got a few children here that you know their progress has slowed down so then we start asking the questions and it's not about going to the teacher saying or why you know what's going on with this child there's so many factors that can have an impact on pupils progress and we know our children inside and out so we know if things have gone on at home we know if if there's you know learning difficulties but then using the data to look at what provision do they need extra provisions they need interventions it's certainly not using data to blame 
ever we do have conversations with the teachers and individually then every term we have pupil progress meetings so we meet with the teachers and LSAs actually as well we go through the class with them but it's very much together it's not about you know right you need to sort you need to sort this out but especially with something like reading you know it, it then informs your planning because we can be looking at reorganizing reading groups looking at different use of staffing within the school because it's all about the child that's all that matters you know and that's why we're here to be the absolute best you know for our children I think that's what helps as well people understanding that it's not just these random sort of data drops that everyone has to do all the time just for the sake of it when you see the bigger picture and you think actually we're all in here to support the children then that's when sort of there's that sense of common purpose Mm. then isn't there without a workload issue really and having conversations Mm. I've met senior leaders who have an interesting approach to data in my time I think it's I think people don't get sufficient training in how to deal with it when they find themselves you know in the upper reaches of a staff hierarchy and I find people are kind of playing with fire a little bit because well first of all it can be very misleading it can tell you things that are not true and it can not tell you things that are true and I think also possibly even more toxically it can drive behaviors that are based on impacting the data rather than impacting the pupils I mean how how have you kind of found cutting out the stuff that doesn't matter I mean have you been trained I've never been a senior leader do they do they just make you do this stuff or do they give you training to to analyze data yeah and, and to know what matters and what doesn't and to avoid falling into all those traps um, First, I, yeah, yeah I don't know it's knowing it's a snapshot it's on that particular day at that particular moment that's how a child performed but it's talking to people it's listening to learners it's talking to children absolutely it's one part of a very big jigsaw and it's having that understanding that it as you said it's not the whole child it's it's a very small piece of a jigsaw and it and doesn't it, you know data does not replace a judgment it informs a judgment but it is just information I, I don't necessarily remember having absolute training on data I just you know for, for myself as a leader of this school I just set up systems whereby I knew which data was important and which data wasn't uh, again you know going back to what I said there's a lot of stuff I've got rid of because you know again just because you've always been doing it doesn't mean that it's right so it's actually looking at what is useful to know and what isn't just going back to what Sarah says that data you it is a snapshot it's a snapshot of that day and actually the biggest thing to look at are trends not let's have a look at that figure that standardized score that reading age this is why we have tracking sheets where and this is why we don't just collect data in september and collect it in july i'm not going to wait an entire year to find out that uh, you know we've completely failed little johnny and he's uh, <laughs> you know, he's gone backwards in the world or stayed you know on a plateau i want to keep checking in on him we have some data that we collect every half term and then we have a, a, a different type of data that we collect termly but for me the reason why I'm doing it is not accountability on the teacher's side it's about the child and there's no way I'm going to allow to allow a child in my school to go a whole year without me checking in on them just to look at you know looking at their progress yes some children they go back a little bit you know and how have you convinced your staff of that Katie because 
I hear um, in some settings of kind of regular data drops. Yeah, of course. Term. Yeah, yeah. It's not. And new. and teachers maybe feeling the the pressure of having to show progress and maybe manufacturing and inflating the grades or the the levels or whatever the measure is that you're using Can in I order say, to not have that yeah, comeback culture. Yeah, <laughs> culture, culture, you know, culture. Again, it goes back yeah. to having yeah. that honesty of conversations and saying, you know, look, this is not a stick to beat you with. You know, this is just a well, and this isn't about of, you. That's yeah. a, you know, this is not about. Yes, of course, you know, the impact a teacher can have on a child's life in school can either be phenomenal or it can be detrimental, and. No teacher comes into this profession to be rubbish at their job and to have a negative impact on children's lives. I can tell you now, there's not one teacher out there that comes in with that attitude. All teachers and people that work in schools are here because they love children and they want to have such a positive impact. So it's when you're having those meetings again it's it's getting it's getting staff to be a part of that that it's not just something that's being done in a room very much like book scrutiny or learning reviews it's not about smt doing it and then coming back to the teachers with a feedback form or smt analyzing data and then send it you know give, giving you a piece of paper to say how badly your class have done it's involving them in that process you know and by doing it um, throughout the year the teacher wants their class to to do well so if you if you find out a few weeks in you know actually right we've got concerns what do you think about these children what can we do any teacher or member of staff would be like oh well how about we do this and that could help all right let's try it out let's go for it and then let's regroup again at Christmas and we'll have a look and see how they've gone and certainly for us in our school it's three times a year so you know I'd like to think that's not unwieldy the real assessment goes on day to day doesn't it when you're looking at those next steps for a child when formative assessment is used properly you know you're you know sort of subconsciously almost driving the standards within your class and checking in Mm. but I think whereas there may be a horror story in other schools I don't know but certainly it's a conversation worth having you know why are we doing this and how often do you need to do it more formally so yeah and how can I do it to make sure that I am the absolute best for my children you know thank you very much that was a, a a really good refreshing deep discussion about workloads looked at from a very practical and practicable stance so thank you both oh you're well thank you <laughs> did he ask for homework i think he did ask for homework didn't we have you done your <laughs> have homework done it? oh god <laughs> yeah so we have our regular slots the well-being slot which i suppose is going to be uh, connected to some of the things maybe we've talked about today I don't know um the shout out and the something to try so have you divided these up between yourselves or what we haven't but so the shout out we that to shout out about someone who's doing something amazing we just wanted to shout out to everybody in our school really because we just could not single anybody no. out the determination effort yeah. and just contributions everybody you know makes us part of this team so every day yeah. I do honestly think I know people you know it's very easy for the I think the head teacher to take all of the glory sometimes but you're only as good as the team behind you and I can honestly I just think I am the luckiest head in the world because my teachers they are just they blow me away they, they literally mm. do and they do work incredibly hard but they've worked so passionately with us haven't mm. they allowing us to make many a mistake too <laughs> <laughs> being very patient with us but they they do have a balance and uh, they have a voice as well don't mm. they but 
they are just the most phenomenal staff in the world. We are so lucky. So we just can't, we couldn't single one person out. They all have such incredible strengths, all of them. So sorry. That's okay. That's absolutely fine. Um, have you got a well-being tip for us? I mean, we've talked a lot about Yoga. workload. Oh, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> Meditation. Yeah. Mindfulness on Chocolate. a Friday. Yeah. Chocolate. <laughs> I mean, there is no silver bullet, but it's useful um, for our student teachers and for us, actually, to gather as many well-being tips. How, how do you two? Do you know what? My, you know, one thing I've I think is if you, if you can't laugh at something, then there's a worry, isn't there? I think, you know, on yeah. our worst days or our days where we feel you know things are maybe a bit rubbish I just think that having that sense of humor is so important because you know looking at the bigger picture I know you can become so overwhelmed when you think gosh things aren't going so well it's just being able to stand back and just think you know mm. there are good people out there that can support you and just have a laugh you yeah know, I, think. I think one of the things I remember speaking to the PGC students about this about two years ago maybe mm. um is also be very careful about how much you get involved with social media or the negativity in the press about teaching you know we all know that the news they don't ever they don't really ever give out positive stories they love to go down the negative front and uh, certainly I know that if I if I'm on Twitter um, yes it is something that needs to be talked about absolutely workload it does but when you're subjecting yourself to this negativity over and over again you know on on the different platforms that there are about them I've got to tell you now, it is absolutely the best job in the world. And if you love your job, you never will have hopefully a workload issue because when you're doing something that you're absolutely passionate about, you don't see it as work. So I I, I do just think that, you know, just to be careful about, you know, when you're around people that are talking negatively about the profession um, or you're subjecting yourself to reading article after article about the bad sides of teaching. Well, if you're going to read things like that, that's all you're ever going to know. But get yourself out there and surround yourself with people that love the job and talk in a loving way about it. Be with the kids as much as you can. (laughs) Get getting out there with them because that's what it's all about. And it, it, it is a brilliant profession. I I'm so you know every day I drive to work and I just think it's easy to get a negative mindset isn't it about things but I am so grateful for my job and I do absolutely love it thank you and do you have anything that people can try in the classroom not 30 different handshakes can I just say Uh, (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) maybe edit that bit Have a laugh. <laughs> Do you know that, you know, actually being able to smile with the children makes such a difference and just having positive relationships with them, getting to know them and as cliche as it is. It is all sounds. about relationship. Absolutely. It is, isn't it? That is categorically the key. Relationship, you know, is the key with in your classroom with your children. But I've always said this as well about being a leader. 
all all that's happened to me is that I've moved up. My class now are my is my staff, you know. And so when I'm delivering insets, there I feel like my staff are my class, and it is about the relationships that you have. That you know your children feel that they can talk to you about anything. That you have open and honest discussions and conversations with them. And if you're in a leadership role, to be able to do exactly the same thing with your staff and have that relationship with them whereby they do feel like they can you know talk openly and honestly about stuff so your vibe attracts your tribe well i think in a world of you know try this strategy and this resource and that gimmick it's nice to to end maybe the year with a something to try that says you're not wasting your classroom time if you get to know your pupils yeah. as people mm. that's a really nice mm. one to finish yeah. with well that's our year of podcasts done. Aww. What a lovely way to end it with you two ladies. <laughs> We've had a riotous time. <laughs> I'm coming to Barry again. Yay! <laughs> Coffee's not so good though. <laughs> so we, I uh, don't know how we're going to follow that, Emma, next year. Aww. I don't know either. We're going to come back. <laughs> we'll have to do some serious We'll have made way more mistakes yeah. than <laughs> Right, well, we're going to leave this riotous place. Uh, And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, Whether you're in Wales or the UK or elsewhere in the world, it's been lovely seeing the the kind of uh, statistics rack up as the year's gone on. Stick with us. We'll check a few things out over the summer, probably, to keep you on side. But we will return um, in September with something. We don't know what. And if you like us, even if you don't, actually... Well-being's high here. <laughs> we are open to your comments and critique. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Please Feedback do. is always good. <laughs> and we'll be back next year. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. That was Emma and Tom's PGCE podcast presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. The special guests this episode were Katie Edwards and Sarah Kaysen from Palmerston Primary School in Barry. The website we mentioned today is the EEF Toolkit, which you can find at educationendowmentfoundation.org.uk. Thanks to everyone who's appeared on the podcast this year. Sally Bethel, Dr Kate North, Kath Lewis, Becky Brynolf and Amy Jones from the And Then What podcast, Dr Judith Neen, Sean Watkins, June Herkin, Fiona Diffie, Rachel George, Rodri Jones, Joseph Pratlett, Mira O'Keefe, Brandon Ham, Tom Mullings, Kirsty Williams, Darius Nash, Amber Rose Summers, Rian Davis-Jones and Dr Julia Jenkins. Thanks for listening to the podcast this year and we'll be back in September. While you're waiting, why not listen back to the other episodes from this season, rate and review us or tell a friend about the podcast. We're all off to come up with 30 different handshakes. Until next time, take care and enjoy teaching. <laughs>